Well, it is officially December 1st, amen? We are jumping into the Christmas season. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? Y'all thought I was going to sing it, but I'm not going to, right? It's the joy of Christmas, and recently some of our pastoral team and some of our teaching team got together, and we began to read the Christmas narratives found in the Scripture, specifically in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew and throughout the Bible in 1 John and different places in the Old Testament like Isaiah where it speaks of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And one word that we found as a pattern throughout the Christmas story is this word joy. Everybody say joy. 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 The joy of Christmas. We're going to be talking about the joy of Christmas over the next few weeks and we're going to be leaning into this miraculous story. And I just pray that as we do, that our joy level begins to rise because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in this specific text and approaching the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1 describes for us what happened in the Christmas story. Uh, the author Luke must have done his research as he was interviewing the different eyewitnesses of the Christmas story to figure out what exactly happened as the birth of Jesus came to life. And before we get to Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds and the angels, we find a couple who sparked the journey of Christmas in really ways that maybe we could be tempted to forget or jump over too quick. And I think there's much for us to learn here. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's pray before we eat. Father God, right now as we get ready for this word, I am convinced that we don't need another message from a person. We need a word from God. We, we don't need a motivational talk. We don't need a pep up boost. God, we, we need a word from God. So Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come down into this room right now. Remove all distraction, give us concentration that we may hear from you, that we may experience the joy of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, if you're there, say, I'm there. If you're ready to do this, say, let's go. Bump the person next to you and say, man, let's read. Let's read, man. Let's read. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was, stay with me now, Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. The story continues, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, verse 9 says, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Beautiful word right there. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
you shall call his name John. You will have joy. Say that with me. Say, you will have joy. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. As we look at this story right here, there's a whole lot of different things going on. But this right here is actually the first moment in 400 years. Everybody say 400. 400. I want you to feel the length of the 400-year gap between the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and this moment right here. It had been 400 years, Walk Church, since God had spoken. There hadn't been a prophecy given. There hadn't been an angelic word from an angel. There hadn't been the Messiah. He had not come yet. There had been nothing. It's been a season of silence from God. But here, but here we see God show up. Here we see God break the silence. It's here that we see God intervene for a few reasons that I want us to look at here today. Let's go ahead and start off by looking first at verse 5. The scripture says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Let me just go ahead and highlight this first part right here. It was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, there's something super interesting about this contrast, this paradox between Herod and Zechariah. See, King Herod in this day was a powerful figure in the culture. I mean, powerful doesn't fully do it justice as to all the different authority and power that King Herod had. But King Herod was not a righteous man. In fact, by definition, you would say he was a wicked man. He was someone who didn't believe in the Lord, didn't honor God, didn't trust God, didn't follow or obey God. He actually did all the opposite. He was a prideful man. He was actually an adulterer. He had many different wives during his lifetime. He was a murderer. He actually had one of his wives murdered because he felt like she was a threat to his power. He had one of his sons murdered because he thought his son might try to deceive and take his place. He was so insecure that he was always walking on eggshells and felt threatened by people because he wanted all the power. He wanted to be in victory. He wanted people to know his name. He wanted people to remember him as Herod the Great. So much so that he would do whatever he had to do to be remembered. He would engrave everything. He was also a master builder. He was a, uh, a sculptor. He had vision for Rome. He wanted all these beautiful sculptures, and he wanted all of them to say, Herod's design. He wanted all the likes and retweets. <laughs> he wanted all the people to know him. And yet at the same time, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. We see this contrast between somebody of great stature, of great power, King Herod, the Herod, and then a very ordinary priest named Zechariah. In fact, at this time, there was over 300 priests in the land, and there were 24 different divisions that held these. There was thousands of priests. 
Zechariah is just one of them from the division of Abijah. And Zechariah here is on display as somebody who God is anointing and selecting to do something miraculous. I've recently been reading this book. I want to show it to you on the screen. It's called The Characters of Christmas. We're going to be selling it in our merch store. Every Christmas season, I like to pick a book that fleshes out the Christmas story because I never want it to get old. Right? I want to read the Christmas story in a fresh way, and every year I like to do that. And So this would be my pick. This year I actually got to meet Pastor Daniel. He's a pastor in Chicago this summer, awesome man of God. And he, he's writing on the Christmas story and pulling out different characters, bringing their story out in a fresh way. And he was writing on Elizabeth and Zechariah. Here's one of the things he says in his book. He says, Herod was a powerful monarch on the throne in Israel, put there by Rome. Zechariah was one of 300 priests in the family of Abijah one of 24 divisions of priests in Israel, a powerful king, an ordinary priest, and his wife, Elizabeth. The news of Israel's deliverer, who would change the world forever, would not come from the palace, but in a Jewish house of worship to an aging priest. What I love about that right there is it tells us that God is not impressed with your credentials. He's not impressed with your GPA. He's not impressed with how many points you scored in high school. He's not impressed with your job resume. He's not impressed with how much power or authority you have. He has more. And so what is impressing God? So so maybe the question we should ask is, so what does grasp God's attention for some reason? In this story, Zechariah and Elizabeth got it. That, That they had something about them that moved God, moved the heart of God, moved the hand of God after 400 years of silence into action. I want us to, I want us to talk about that because we're, we're getting ready to enter into a miracle. The whole Christmas story is a miracle. And I want to give you three recipe items, all right? Come on, did somebody have, have any recipes for Thanksgiving this year? Right? I know that we, we ate some good food, and I was thinking at the charge group feast even, man, what? give me the recipe to my wife for that carrot souffle. That thing was good, right? I need all the different recipe items to make this miracle come to life. Let me give you the recipe to get God's attention, all right? I wanna give you the recipe today. Here's the steps to get God's attention and God's activity to see a miracle happen in your life. Let me, I, got, I got three points, right? The first one we're gonna find here in the text, righteous living. Amen. Ingredients for a miracle is righteous living. I mean, my man, we got one amen. Me and you, bro, we go, righteous living. Everybody else was like, ugh, I wasn't expecting that ingredient. Can we put some sugar on that, something? Like, can we get some spice on that? Just, Just plain old, faithful, righteous living. This is something, hear me, church, this is something that set apart Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see it in the scripture, Luke chapter 1, verse 6. They were both righteous before God. Can we highlight that? That they were both righteous before God. That this man and this woman were together in unity, married, righteous before God. That that they were in right relationship with God. They were in right standing with God. They were in right relationship with other people. They were righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, everybody say but. But they had no child 
Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So they were now older in years. Commentators don't know how quite old they were. They were probably in their 70s or 80s, advanced in years, and they had given up on the dream, you would suppose, of having a baby. That train had left the station. But at some point, you could have imagined that this righteous couple dreamed of having a baby, dreamed of having a a child who could carry the, the, the name. A dream that God would intervene and that would give them an heir that would raise up and, and praise God and lead the way and encourage people to come to know the Lord and know the righteous one that they walked in. But let me go ahead and encourage you that our dreams and prayers never die. And that prayers that you may have prayed back then could still be taking a little bit more time to be answered. And that I would encourage you with this word, don't don't allow a difficult circumstance to determine your faithfulness to God, right? Amen. There's like two people right there. I'm with you. Don't allow your difficult circumstance to determine your righteousness before him. I, I love this couple because though they had a difficult circumstance, it's clear, right? No baby, right? Elizabeth even tells us later that The Lord has looked upon my reproach. She has felt outcast. She's felt burdened. She's felt like she wasn't good enough. Why me, God? How come you didn't bless me with a baby? But she goes, even though that's my circumstance, I'm not going to let that determine my righteousness. I'm going to trust you anyway. Something about that type of faith. God says, hold up, angels. Something's different about this couple. I might start Christmas with this couple. I might break the 400-year fast with this couple. What's different? They're righteous. This is a righteous couple. Now, let me go ahead and talk to you a little bit about righteous living. When it comes to righteous living, how do we do it? How do we do it rightly? That's a good question to ask. Well, there's two forms of righteousness. There's positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Or another way to think about it is this. There's vertical righteousness, up and down, you and God. Then there's practical right, righteousness. How do we live it out? Right? So positional righteousness, I think, is the, the main importance here. Right? And that's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Let me show you this scripture. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I hope that you're not ashamed either for those who know Christ. Don't be ashamed of the king of kings. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone who believes. That means that you can believe and be saved. You can experience the power of salvation. The gospel is not just about God's power. It is God's power. Right? That's why we can't grow out of the gospel. We just grow deeper into the gospel. Right? Tim Keller says the gospel is not the ABCs of salvation. It's the A to Z of salvation. Right? The gospel is not good suggestions. The gospel is not a good advice. The gospel is not a good option if you want to know God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. This good news gospel is everything. And here's how you get it. Here's how you receive it. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Righteous living is faith living. Righteous living is saying, okay, I'm going to take one step and put another step down because I believe in what? talking about. I believe in the Lord. I believe in his faithfulness. I believe in God doing something miraculous that I couldn't do on my own. Here's the righteous living by faith. So I want to encourage you today. 
If you want to start living righteous, start living by faith. Start trusting God with your faith of things that you cannot see. Start trusting God generously. Start trusting God with your faith. Start trusting God with your problems. Start trusting God with your prayers that haven't even been answered. God's not sleeping even if he's silent, right? Lean into the silence and say, God, I'm going to trust you anyway because something about that type of faith is righteous, right? Righteousness faith is saying, okay, Jesus, I can't die for my own sin. Only a righteous one can die for my sin. A holy one, a blameless one. See, God, only one who has never sinned. Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't sinless, but they were believing in a sinless Messiah. The Bible tells us that Abraham, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus came, believed that one day a Savior would come. And God counted it then to Abraham as righteousness. See, Abraham and Moses and the different prophets in the Old Testament were looking to Jesus we're looking back at Jesus. Both of us find our righteousness in him. By our faith. They were saying, okay, one day God's going to send a savior. He's going to make me righteous. We're saying God sent a savior. Merry Christmas. He makes me righteous. We need both. And so it starts with faith. To be positionally righteous, you have to have faith. And here's the good news. It's an exchange that happens where when Jesus is on the cross, all of our sin, all of it gets thrown on Jesus. That's why he died for our sin. And all of his righteousness gets transferred to your bank account. So when God looks at your bank account, he sees it full of righteousness. Whose righteousness? His in Christ. That great substitution and exchange is everything. When it comes to positional righteousness, when I step in heaven one day and the Father says, what makes you righteous? I'm going to say, Jesus. Nothing. Plus nothing, just Jesus. Because he died for all of it and he gave me all of it. That's positional righteousness. Now hold on. There's more to the story. How do we live that out practically? On the ground. Gospel in the air is I'm positionally righteous. Now, how do I live righteous? I want to encourage you to, to live righteous. Let me give you a defining reality for living righteous, all right? Here's what, here's what I would have you do. If you're a note taker, write this down. Here's a defining reality. Righteous living is doing the right thing the right way at the right time. If you can go through life and say, all right, today, here's my day. It's Sunday, December 1st. Here's what I'm going to do today. Lord, help me. I'm going to do the right thing today. Wow. Not only am I going to do the right thing, I'm going to do it the right way. Not only am I going to do it the right way, I'm going to do it at the right time. And God says, that'll get my attention. Someone wise once told me this. They said, hey, Hayden, if you don't want to get caught, don't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's like, that's actually pretty good, right? Like, man. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do it the right way. Do it at the right time. If you know the right thing to do, do it. Do the right thing. That's righteous living. Right? Zechariah said, you know what? I got to do the right thing. And I got to do it right now. And I got to do it the right way. Maybe one thing that's right would say, maybe you'd say, hey, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Say, you know what? Pastor said, do the right thing. I got to stop listening to all the other voices in my life. I got to start listening to his voice 
really the only voice that matters. Now, hold on, hold on. Hold your clap. Wait one second. Because here's what might happen. You might say, okay, right thing. Read the Bible. And you might go, okay. Uh, start here. You shall not eat anything that has died. You should give to the sojourner who is within your towns, for you are a people. They shall not boil a goat. Uh, I don't know if that, that's not the right way. There's a better way to do the right thing, right? Maybe you pick a gospel in the New Testament, and you say, I'm going to start with the Christmas story, and I'm going to start at chapter one. I don't want to miss anything. I want to start right at the beginning, and I just want to read through. I want to go slow and steady. I want to do the right thing, the right way, the right time. Maybe you sense you need to start being generous, and you know the right thing to do is to be generous, and you know the right thing to do and the right way to do it, but you're like, I'll just start next year. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Why don't you just start now, right now? Pastor Dean talked about, hey, before you approach the table, why don't you get right now? Examine yourself now and get right now. Do the right thing the right way at the right time. Because that's righteous. And here's a couple ways to do it. One, ask God, what's the righteous thing to do? What's the right thing to do here? And let God speak to you. Pray about it. The right thing to do is probably to pray. Let me pray and ask God about it and listen. Or maybe you can get somebody close enough to you, whether that's a spouse or a best friend or an accountability partner. Pull them aside. Hey, Mike. Here's my situation. What's the right thing to do here? Now, let me go ahead and tell you. If you ask that question to the right person, they might tell you the right answer that you might not want to hear. You might hear some stuff like this. Break up with them. Stop sleeping together. Move out. Start giving. The right thing for you to do is comb your hair. The right thing for you to do is take a shower. The right thing for you to do is apologize. The right thing for you to do is get back to church. The right thing for you to do is join a group. The right thing for you to do is start being a part of this thing. The right thing for you to pick up the phone and call that friend, that family member, that person that you know is just, you know what I'm saying? Whatever, whatever God tells you to do is the right thing to do. Amen? Do that. That's righteous living. Let me talk to you a little bit about, about righteous living. Here's what Isaiah talks about when it comes to righteous living. Let me just give you some good news. Tell the righteous. This was the word that God told me to tell you. Tell, tell, I'm talking to the righteous people in the house. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. So righteous people, it shall be well with you. Receive it. Come on. It'll be well with you, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. If you sow righteous fruit, you're going to get righteous fruit. If you, if you eat righteous fruit, you're going to feel righteous, right? It's going to go well with the righteous. You can read the end of the book. The righteous team wins. The right team wins. You might as well join the right team and become righteous. That It's going to go well with you. Right? I can't guarantee anybody else, but at least for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, word, the name Zechariah, by definition, is the Lord remembers. Right? God says, I'm, I remember you. I remember your righteousness. Elizabeth means God's oath. Right? We see this in Isaiah. We also see this in the book of Proverbs. All throughout the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs are a wisdom book in the Bible comprised of principles of wisdom, not necessarily promises from God. I wouldn't take the Proverbs and say, this is your promise, God. But I would say, this is your wisdom, God, 
on how to live, how to live righteous. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3 says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Nothing. Golly. Amen. Right? But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Let me tell you something. If you're living righteous, if you're walking righteous, God is going to provide for you. God is going to take care of you. He's going to meet all your needs and more. Right? If you're saying, okay, God, you've made me righteous, I'm going to do the right thing the right way at the right time, God says, I'll meet every single need of yours. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. He says, I got you. Trust me with the righteous part. Do the right thing the right time and the right way, and God says, I'll bless and honor that. You won't be hungry. At the end of the day, I'm going to take care of you. Right? He says in just a few verses later, Proverbs 10, verse 7, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. How do you want to be remembered? That's your call. That's your choice. you got to make that decision. How do you want to be remembered? I hope that today you'd say, you know what? When people think of me, I hope people think of me as a blessing. When people remember my name, I hope they remember me as, man, that person's a blessing. I'll tell you what. We're still talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're still learning from their story. We're still talking about Jesus. Ain't nobody talking about King Herod anymore, right? He's been gone. And when we do talk about King Herod, it's rotten. It makes you feel weird. It's like, ah, let's just move on to something else. How do you want people to remember you? What do you want people to say on your last day? What do you want people to say at your service? What do you want people to say when they think about you, right? The memory of the righteous Man, that's a blessing. Your your story can even continue to live on after you're gone. You can be blessing people with your testimony, even if you're not even alive. Just the memory of you, man, just encourage somebody. Come on, right? Amen? The memory of the righteous is a blessing. The name of the wicked, that's going to rot up. Nothing left. Start living righteous. That gets God's attention. Let me give you another proverb, then we're going to have to move on. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Herod had all this expectation. I want to do this, that, this, that. That all perished. Nina and I, we've been to Rome. It's awesome. You can see a lot of the old sculptures and all types of good stuff, but a lot of it's just broken and falling away. Right? It's going to perish one day. Everything's going to perish one day, except for your faith except for your righteousness, except for how you're remembered, right? And so the righteous is joy. This is the joy of Christmas, amen? The Christmas story starts with a righteous couple who trusted God by faith, named Zechariah and Elizabeth. You don't get to Mary and Joseph without first engaging with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the righteous couple by faith. Righteousness is doing the right thing, the right time, the right way. Just trust God with it. Just trust God with it. If you know God's calling you to do something, trust him. That's the righteous thing to do. And God honors righteous living as he did in this scripture. Now let me give you the second ingredient. If you got all that, say, I got it. There's another point in this sermon that I really want you to catch. Let me give you the second point of of how to see a miracle happen. Uh, Righteous living and faithful serving. Righteous living and faithful. Look at the scripture with me, okay? So Zechariah and Elizabeth was a righteous couple. Verse 8, now while he was serving. Oh, can we bold that, please? 
Can we just hide? Now, while he was serving, ooh, this point right here gets me excited. It was in the moment. It was on the spot. It was happening while he was serving that God said, oh, man, that's my guy. I like that guy. He's righteous and he's serving. I can use him to spark Christmas. He's righteous and he's serving. If you want to get God's attention, I'm giving you the secret. This is the secret. Start living righteous and start serving faithfully. It gets God's attention every time. Right? We see it in the text. Now, while he was serving as priest before God and his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. God puts favor in the, in the path of the, the one, those who serve. Right? He's serving faithfully. While he was serving, they said, hey, we're going to draw lots. We're going to see who's going to go into the temple. This was a one-time honor. This would be the Super Bowl of any priest. To be able to be chosen, to go in the temple and light the incense would be the highlight of his life. Why should God allow the lot to fall on him? Because I believe God said, God said man, this guy's righteous and he's serving. I want to I have favor follow him. You don't have to follow favor. Favor will follow you. Right? If you're serving and you're righteous, favor is not far behind. God says, look, choose him. Right? I want to get into the mix of that. There's something about serving that's so powerful. Jesus talks about serving. Did y'all know that? Let me tell you, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus brings us into this servant lifestyle. Jesus gives a parable about what's going to happen in heaven. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful leader. No? Well done, good and faithful, successful person. Well done, good and faithful boss and authority. Nope. Well done, good and... It says, well done, good and faithful. Come on, help me out. Good and faithful. Right? At what point did we start to see servants that don't serve? Like sometimes I hear people, man, I'm just a servant for Christ, y'all. And I'm like, that's awesome. Where do you serve? I don't really serve. I don't, I don't actually serve. Oh, man, I'm a servant for Christ, man. Where do you serve? Where do you serve at in the church? That's what's up. I don't serve. So you're not a servant for Christ. That's what you're saying. Right? His master said, and well done, good and faithful servant. This is our identity. We're called loved children of God who serve on behalf of our God and our king. Serving is part of who we are. We're called servants for Christ. He's going to say, well done, Good and faithful servant. Jesus says this is the way to lead. He talks about it, right? Matthew chapter 23. Let's keep looking together. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Not might be, but will be. So if you really want to be great, where do you serve? How do you serve? When do you serve? Who do you serve? Because the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus, he redefines greatness, doesn't he? He says greatness looks a lot like serving. Let me show it to you in the Gospel of Luke. He continues this same principle. Read it with me. One, two, three. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Leadership is defined by serving. We see this modeled from all the leaders in the New Testament. 
Think about the Apostle Paul. He would be the one to plant different churches. Now, every time, pretty much Paul would write a letter to a church that he started, right? He could say, Paul, the lead church planting pastor of the Galatian church. That's not what he says. Look what he says. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So he said, my apostleship is not where I start. My apostleship is just a product of my serving Christ, right? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul says, what I am, I'm, I'm a servant, right? He says it also in the book of Philippians, chapter one, verse one. He says, Paul and Timothy. Timothy was a disciple of Paul. Paul says, look, I'm discipling Timothy to be a servant. Paul and Timothy, servants, of Christ Jesus, who are we serving? Well, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. One of my favorite addresses in Galatians chapter one, verse 10. Now this is a word for somebody. Bump the person next to you and say, this one's for you, I know it. I know this is your word. Tell them, for real, come on, do it. Make, make the person uncomfortable, say, this is your word. Trust me, this is your word. This is your word. Paige, this is your word. <laughs> no one's on your, your row, right? All right, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? <laughs> if I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. He said, I would have let the serving role go a long time ago. I would have taken off the servant towel and cashed that in because I'm trying to please people. If you want to please people, don't be a servant of Jesus. They nailed him to a tree. Right? How much more are people going to really like you? Right? We're called to serve Christ, not people. We're not looking for man's approval. I don't need anybody to affirm me. You don't need nobody to affirm you. If you got Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father and a whole other bunch of servants with you, you're going to be all right. We're called servants of Christ. We're not successful people for Christ. We're called servants of Christ. That's our, that's our call, Right? A servant who doesn't serve blows my mind. May, may it never be. Jesus models this, right? Paul modeled it. Jesus modeled it. Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, even the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, Hey, Jesus, where do you serve? I'm, I'm giving my whole life up. I even became a baby. Jeez, he's super servant, right? And Jesus wasn't born in a hospital in a beautiful room. He was born in a barn. It was stinky and dirty. Nobody even would let him in. No uh, epidural. Just straight up, man, Jesus. I'm coming here to serve. That's why I'm here. And Zechariah said, oh, I'm here to serve. Nobody was paying Zechariah. Let me go ahead and remind you. Everybody in this room, everybody here is called to ministry. Did you know that? The word ministry in the Greek is the word serve. To be a minister is one who serves. Now, of course, there's professional ministry, vocational ministry, like it's your job to do ministry. But everybody here is called to serve called to ministry in one capacity or another. And I would encourage you to get in the game of serving because this is what 
righteous people do. This is what people who get God's attention do. This is what leaders do. Jesus says the greatest among you will serve. The leaders will serve. Right? John MacArthur talks about Zechariah here uh, in his commentary. He says this is a high honor. Because of the large number of priests, most would never be chosen for such a duty. And no one was permitted to serve in this capacity twice. Zechariah no doubt regarded this as the supreme moment in a lifetime of priestly service, right? He had, been a, he, he had been in this thing serving and somehow caught God's attention. Maybe you've heard me share this testimony before, but it so impacted my life. I teach this when I talk about leadership. Uh, when I was in college, I was discipling a young man who I took to stake and shake because a good way to do discipleship is around shakes, amen, right? And, and so we pulled up to the steak and shake, and we walked up onto the sidewalk, and I still remember its vivid memory of this lady. She had her work outfit on, and she was on her hands and knees, and she had this little gum scraper, and she was scraping up pieces of gum and holding in one hand and cleaning up this sidewalk. And I was so moved by the act of service that I had to ask her. I said, hey, excuse me, can we help you? Can we just help you clean some of this up? Can we just get down? Because serving, sometimes you want to get some other people with you in the game, right? It's contagious. And she said, you know what? I only got a few pieces to, to go. Don't worry about it. I just want you to enjoy your time here. You guys go ahead. I got this. And we said, are you sure? She said, go for it. No worries. So we said, all right, well, you, you got it. We're just, we don't want to be a burden. We walked into the steak and shake. We went up to the register. We ordered our shakes. And all of a sudden, we heard the door open behind us, and the lady popped in. And the guy behind the register said, hey, yes, manager, right? And she goes, make sure that those two shakes are on us. And he goes, whatever you say, you're the boss, right? And it, it, it struck me in that moment. This is what leadership looks like, that I don't need to be praised. I don't need to the approval of people. I'm here to serve. And, and, and God says the favor will follow the serving. The favor will follow the serving. Righteous living, faithful serving gets God's attention and moves him into move. Let me go ahead and give you the last point, and then we're done. We're almost done, all right? If, should I keep going? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Final point. Let's go back and look at Luke. People praying. Righteous living, faithful serving, people praying. Let me show it to you in the text. Luke chapter 1. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Look, people were praying, Zechariah serving, righteous living. God dispatched his right-hand angel, Gabriel. He hasn't made an appearance for 400 years. And he got checked into the game to go say something to Zechariah. Wow, this is holy ground right here. People are praying outside. God says, this is my type of party. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah is having his moment. He's about to make his prayer. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. If an angel shows up, it can get a little scary. Don't believe any of these fable tales like an angel showed up and I was like, hey, what's up, bro? No, you were going to be on your face, 
like terrified, like, what did I do? <laughs> right? Zechariah's like, that's an angel. And his name tag says Gabriel. Last time we saw him was in the book of Daniel. He's there. We're going to meet him one day. He saw him fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Can I just highlight these two parts right here? The whole multitude of people were praying outside. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? What if this was a prayer he prayed 30 years ago? What if this was a prayer he just prayed? What if it's both? Right? What if it was Jesus? What if it's God? When are you going to come back? When are you going to send when are you going to send the Messiah? What if it's that prayer? What if it's the prayer that says, God, how come you won't give us a son? What if it's like one last prayer of faith of a, a, a desperate 70-year-old? Hey, God, I know I just offered up all the incense prayers. I'll never be invited to do this again. Can you give us a baby too? <laughs> Gabriel there. Wow. Then appeared to him. The angel of the Lord. He said, he said, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. <laughs> what a word. What a line. Your prayer has been heard. What a message for prayer right here. People praying, Zechariah praying, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I really believe these are the three ingredients they're not the most lavish and grandiose and glorious ingredients. These are the ingredients that make it, though. It's righteous living. It's faithful serving. It's people praying. Jim Cimbala says it like this in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He says it. The church wasn't born in a room of people preaching. The church was born in a room of people praying. Right In the book of Acts, the church gathered together. What do we do? Jesus died. He rose. He's with us. He said, just... just Stay prayed up. Just go get together and pray. I'll do the rest. As the church was praying, the, the, the Holy Spirit fell. Prayer meetings were a regular thing. We're going to have a prayer meeting this upcoming Wednesday, December 4th. That's like in three days. You should be there. Like, be there. Don't schedule something over it. Somebody's going to, I guarantee, somebody's going to ask you to go to dinner tomorrow because we have a prayer meeting. They're going to say, how about Wednesday at 6? And you're going to be like, nope. I got a prayer meeting. But I can go with you after that or before that. Or how about you come with me to the prayer meeting? That, hey, for the couples in the room. Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? We're, we're a righteous couple. If she ain't going to attend the prayer meeting with you, let her go. If he's not going to the prayer meeting with you, the right thing to do, let him go. All right? You don't pray together. You don't stay together. All right? Right? We got to have praying couples. God blesses those couples. He anoints those couples. Righteous together, righteous living, praying. Multitude of people were outside praying. The book of Chronicles, God says, if my people would pray, I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. If our church can just get hungry for prayer, get hungry for the presence of God. The thing that's challenging is in the prayer time, it's not about you. That's why people struggle to pray because it's all about him. And it's about us spending time with him. I think God's primary love language is quality time. 
He wants to hear from you. So righteous living, people praying, faithful serving, gets God's attention. And God says, I'm starting Christmas. I'm starting Christmas with this couple. I got to close. I'm going too long. I'm going to step aside. More to eat from, but we'll keep eating from it uh, as the weeks go on. Let me give you a a closing quote from Daniel Darling, the book, The Characters of Christmas. Again, would encourage you to buy it. $10. We always sell books cheaper than the regular price uh, just because we want to be generous to you. And also, stop by the merch store and get you a new walk sweater. Come on, right? Yeah, you need one of those. Uh, we We got gray ones. We got the black ones. The first lady, Nina, is modeling the black so well today. Come on, stand up, baby. Hey, you need that in your life. You need one of those walk sweaters. Um, And so pick one up afterwards. But let me go ahead and close with this quote. Uh, Today, as you read this story, perhaps all you hear is silence of God. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you are faithful and you earnestly believe God. You do. But all you hear in your suffering is silence. No cure for your illness. No positive pregnancy test. No new job offers. From this story, you can be encouraged that the same God who remembered his people in Egypt and remembered his people in Judea and remembered his people on the cross has remembered you. God is not intimidated by the things that threaten you and is working to bring good, to achieve glory, even from your pain. Amen? Let's pray.